us in the room, the people that we engage with in our lives who don't believe in Jesus uh, hold to what we call a naturalistic worldview. Uh, they believe the reason for everything has come from just random evolutionary forces that give answers to the reason for everything. And so when we engage with them, uh, they ask questions and we have questions uh, that we struggle to give an answer for. And so part of what we are doing in this series and in our small groups in the week, in our life groups, is uh, kind of giving the evidence for what, what we believe and the reason for everything is a biblical worldview. And so that is what we've been doing. It has been a little bit different and nonetheless so exciting. And it is a joy to see how you guys are responding with this as you are being armed with the answers for the reason for everything and being encouraged in the life groups on how to better share your faith with those uh, who don't believe. And so this week, uh, the question that we're going to be looking at, it's not just a philosophical question. Uh, This is a very emotional question. And in fact, this is one of the hardest questions uh, that people have when it comes to our faith. I mean, I went on to the news this morning when I woke up. One of the first articles I read is about a flood in India that's killed uh, just over 300 people so far. And I went down the articles to see there was a car crash and a number of fatalities in the car crash. And then there was an article about a home invasion where there were some fatalities. And then there were a couple of articles around uh, some corrupt government officials and how much money that should have been allocated to those who need it has been misspent. And that was this morning. And if you read this whole past week, there's just been disaster story after disaster story after disaster story. And so when you, you engage with the headlines, we don't even need the headlines in the newspapers. But here's the question is, why is the world so messed up? Why is the world so messed up? And this really is an emotional question. And this is something that has really uh, divided uh, people and is a, a major stumbling block for people to come to faith in Christ. I remember the first time I really engaged with someone uh, who battled with this. You're going to uh, maybe a bit uh, surprised by this, but I used to run a skate park. In uh, my uh, very early 20s, myself and a mate, we built a skate park. We were in the southern suburbs of Cape Town, and uh, we needed to reach out to the alternative community that was really big there. We built the skate park, and uh, we ran it on Friday nights and Wednesday afternoons as an outreach in our area. It was very, very popular. And then we would hang out with these guys, and the rule was they could skate for free in our park, but they had to come inside, and uh, they had to endure uh, a message from me, and I got to talk to them about Jesus. And uh, most of these guys weren't believers, but they put up with me because it was the only skate park that they had access to. It's a good deal. But I remember one day, this one young guy, uh, we were talking, and he really just got so, so angry. Uh, I can't even share some of the language. He started to hurl at me, spitting, picking up his skateboard, and just like hitting the church, 
Go and stop talking about Jesus. God doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. And, and, and kind of calming him down, going like, Brew, what is going on? He says, stop talking about this God that's not real. Because if God was real, my sister would not have had a Down syndrome baby. And if he is real, he doesn't love me. And so I want nothing to do with him. And maybe you have encountered people who have said similar things. Maybe it's something that you wrestle with as well. And you can insert your story there. You know, why did that bad thing happen? If God is good, if God is loving, you know, Christian, if that's the God of the Bible that you talk about, if he is this good, if he is this loving, why do these things happen? And maybe you've encountered someone that has been as personal as, why did this happen to me? And it's a hard question that we're going to attempt to get into tonight. So imagine with me a scenario. I take a video camera and I head out to some public places in and around uh, the area and I ask the question, interview style, can you tell me why the world is so messed up? I'm going to get a number of answers. But the kind of answers that people will give can uh, largely be put into two types of categories. And maybe someone's going to say, well, the world is so messed up because of hurricanes. Another person will say earthquakes or uh, viruses or something like that. And so that kind of can get boiled down to there's something wrong with the world. And they'll answer it in that way. And maybe some of the questions or some of the answers to the question, why is the world messed up? People are going to say because there's a murder rate. People get divorced. There's human trafficking, uh, broken families, corruption as a reason for why the world is messed up. And that kind of gets boiled down into uh, there's something wrong with us. And so this answer to this question and kind of starting to unpack it, why is the world so messed up? People will uh, kind of sum things up in two possibilities. There's something wrong with the world and there is something wrong with us. But before we get there, we need to kind of uh, try and figure out even that first part, there is something wrong. Because C.S. Lewis, when we start talking about this, uh, he says this. He says, when you, when you talk like that, you're applying what we call a sense of ought. What I mean by a sense of ought is when you say something is like this, but it ought to be like this. And so the moment you start to say, well, something is wrong, what then ought it be like? And, and where do we get that? And we experience this in our lives. Uh, you know, this idea that's right and wrong. Uh, for me, I don't know if you like this. Uh, when I go shopping, there is all the, t- the kind of the checkout points, and there's that one for 10 items or less. And uh, whenever I'm in that line, I have this uh, kind of reflex uh, habits of counting the stuff in people's trolleys around me. Who does that? Yeah. How many of you start to get livid when you get to 10 and just keep on going? Yeah. You, you know, we kind of start to get really like, you're in the wrong line and uh, this isn't fair. 
is this kind of, we experience this kind of this inner thing of right and wrong. Uh, it's something that I've, I've never had to teach my children. And I've shared with you guys uh, some of the stories and antics of my wonderful children. They are incredibly helpful. In fact, my children uh, feel such purpose. And when they get to do things around the house that help out my wife and I. And so they, there's no uh, problem whatsoever. Hey, why don't you go do this? Or Aaron, you go do this. Uh, but they so love doing things that if I say, for example, Aaron, please can you go fetch something from uh, the bedroom for me? Uh, Edith, m- my youngest daughter, hearing that will then bolt and just try and uh, beat Aaron into doing the job that he has been asked. Now, when a situation like that happens in our house, it's chaos. And, and, and the person who uh, got given the mission uh, and isn't able to do it, they really just freak out. Uh, there's so many tears going, but that wasn't fair. I was asked to do this. And so when we say something's wrong, like where does that come from? Where does this kind of sense of morality and, and right and wrong that we don't even have to teach children, it's just naturally ingrained in them. Where do we get this from? That's part of the question. And this isn't just a Christian problem. Uh, This is something that every worldview needs to address and try and give adequate answer to, is where does morality come from? Where does right and wrong come from? How do we deal with the problem of suffering in the world? And most worldviews really struggle. Uh, New Age, uh, they will say something like suffering is an illusion. It doesn't exist, it's an illusion. Uh, Hinduism, uh, they will tell you that good and bad, karma, is just a result of what you were in your past life. And so they won't engage with someone who's suffering because they wouldn't want to rob someone of a purifying experience. And then, for example, uh, atheists will will say suffering exists, uh, but God doesn't. And this is a step that people make because they will go, We understand that there's something wrong with the world. We understand that there's something wrong with us. And then they'll go like one plus two equals God doesn't exist. And that's a a really uh, big jump that people make. But even naturalists uh, would tend to agree that we see evidence of morality and right and wrong in nature. When you watch uh, nature documentaries, we have seen uh, footage of elephants mourning their dead. We've seen a buck actually charge and defend themselves and their young against lions. And so when we see that, uh, guys like naturalists will go, well, there we go. There's evidence of it in nature. So that is why uh, we have a sense of right and wrong in us as humans, because we see evidence of it in nature. But there's other things that we see in nature uh, as well. I don't know if you guys know that uh, ground squirrels have known to regularly eat their own babies. And uh, mallards, a type of duck, uh, have it on record that they have uh, gang-raped other ducks and drowned other ducks. Uh, There's a type of fish called a a cichlid. Uh, And I also, I just Googled this because I couldn't believe it. And uh, the amount of questions that came up of guys who have uh, cichlids as fish is that they eat the eyes of other cichlids. And spotted hyenas 
if there are two babies, the stronger will uh, kill off the weaker sibling. Now, if we had to eat our young or eat each other's eyes, the world is going to have a problem with that. People are going to say, that is wrong. And where, do we, where does that come from? And again, this is something that really needs to be addressed. Again, maybe one of the strongest arguments coming out of that thinking, uh, evolutionary thinking, is what they call the selfish gene. And they go over uh, hundreds of thousands of years, what has been hardwired into our brain is the sense of looking after our own is just better for us. So when we were kind of like nomadic, uh, wandering, half, uh, half ape, half humans, uh, we figured out somehow that murdering our own tribe made us weaker and more vulnerable. So therefore, we stopped murdering people uh, because we're stronger and then I could be next if murdering was a thing. And so somehow we just uh, got it wired into us that uh, we've got to self-preserve our people, our tribe, uh, because when we do that, we're just going to be better. But uh, I love this quote by Tim Keller. It says this, For evolutionary purposes, hostility to other people outside one's group should be uh, widely considered moral and right behavior. Yet today we believe that sacrificing time, money, emotion, and even life, especially for someone not of our tribe, is right. Right? This is something that we experience. So naturalists on one hand say, well, you know, this is where right or wrong kind of comes from. But if you see somebody drowning in a river, what do you do? You jump in. You don't go, hey, evolution is just taking its... uh, you know, running its natural course. I'm not gonna gonna step involved and uh, get involved and, and, and stop what's uh, natural. No, this is a complete stranger that we might never see again, and we save them. And uh, you know, we see people who maybe really struggle in one area with their behaviour, but are very generous in other areas. And uh, this doesn't make sense because we actually, as people, value helping those who can't help themselves. So we're left with a problem. And the problem is that there's something wrong. There's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong with us. Another quote by C.S. Lewis, and this one is going to be up on the screen. I I really like this quote. And C.S. Lewis says this, my argument is C.S. Lewis, I know we quote him a lot, a real big voice in modern Christianity, and we really, really do value his contribution. But C.S. Lewis, at one stage in his life, was not a believer and was, in fact, an atheist. So that's a little bit of context to this quote. My argument against God was that the world seemed cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of cruel and unjust? A man doesn't call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? I love that. I really do. So 
Again, we can, I think, safely say that we agree with the statement, something is wrong. Now, when we get to then the statement, because remember, when we boil down people's responses to why is the world messed up, there's kind of two responses. There's something wrong with the world, and there's something wrong with us. When we speak about some of the things that we say there's something wrong with the world, like congenital heart disease, tsunamis, um, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, uh, things that have killed uh, hundreds of thousands of people, uh, and, and, and really horrible things. If we really think about it, we don't have a problem so much with those things, but only when they affect the lives of people. Right now, there could be a tornado in Antarctica. Does that have an effect on our lives? The answer is no. There could be a massive storm in the middle of the ocean that is just bucketing down water, but we are unaffected by it because no lives are at stake. But 300 plus people have just died in India because of a flood. And it's called a tragedy. And why is one a tragedy and the other has no bearing on our lives whatsoever? And the only time that we start to have a problem with natural evil, things, uh, you know, that we give reason to while we say the world is messed up is because it causes death. And so maybe our problem is not with the world, What's wrong with the world is death. And something to kind of think through because all of the natural evils that we speak about only impact our lives when a human is killed. And so I think what we think the problem with this world is what's wrong with this world is death. And then if we think of the other statements, there's something wrong with us. Last week we spoke about human dignity, spoke about the value um, of human lives, but then uh, we looked at a, a character uh, like Hitler. And what we saw is that humans are possible of, there's just so much uh, incredible things that humans are capable of, but at the same time, uh, just so much bad and so much pain and suffering can be caused uh, by humans. And, and how does a worldview account for both? And so I want to do a, a thought uh, experiment with us Uh, this evening. Imagine we could uh, somehow get rid of uh, the most evil people in our society, the Hitlers. Uh, The guys, if we had to give a numerical value to their evilness, 10 out of 10. That is how evil they are. So we uh, round up all the 10 out of 10 evil people and we get rid of them. Is our world, uh, do we still have a problem with evil people? Yes, because now we have the next level, which are nine out of ten evil people. And uh, maybe we can call them uh, politicians or bankers. uh, You know, if we (laughs) had to run, I heard this, I'm going to go rogue here, and that's always dangerous. Uh, I heard this joke if you have a a gun, you can rob a bank. If you have a bank, you can rob everyone. And. if we can uh, round up the, the 9 out of 10 people, we get rid of them. What are we left with? Is evil gone? Now, if we keep on going, we're going to reach a point where it's either you or me is the most evil person on the planet. And that's a scary thought. And again, it just speaks to this thing that there is a problem with the world, 
and, and part of that is us. And again, we don't have to uh, teach this. Uh, those of you who have kids like me, I have tried my level best to raise my children in a gospel-centric home. What I mean by that is Jesus has been present uh, from uh, the day my kids have entered, well, they have been exposed to the gospel. In fact, Edith, my two-year-old, I I caught her singing uh, the the song this morning, and and it was along the lines of, uh, she was singing, Jesus is my best friend. Jesus, I put you first in my life. Yet she lies. And I have never lied to her. She has never caught me in a lie. Uh, I don't uh, lie to my family. Yet somehow she knows how to lie. Uh, Where has that come from? And if you know my daughter, she is the most precious uh, little thing on the planet, but has the ability to lie and bite and punch. We had the food packing event today and uh, my kids needed a bit of a break and so they went outside to play uh, soccer on the field and Aaron, uh, my four-year-old, ran towards the guys who were playing soccer and shame, the ball bounced and as he ran onto the field, popped up and hit him square in the face and so he fell down in a heap of tears and uh, Edith saw this and ran towards the boy that uh, did this total accident and uh, shouted, I'm going to spit at you, I'm going to kick you. This is my precious little two-year-old, but, uh, you know, I don't spit and I don't kick. I mean, I don't know where this uh, kind of comes from, but this is what we talk about, this kind of innate evil that seems to be present in our lives. So I think we can agree on three statements. There's something wrong. There's something wrong with the world, and there is something wrong with us. And that's why this world is so messed up. And that is why there is so much pain and suffering in the world. If we uh, kind of speak into uh, what is wrong with the world, the Bible calls that death. Because again, natural disasters only affect us when somebody dies. Uh, the Darwin, he often speaks about how we should be so comfortable with death. If you hold to a naturalistic worldview, death should be a natural thing. It it shouldn't phase us in any way. But every single one of us have felt robbed when we've lost someone we've loved. None of us have just been blasé about a loved one. Whether they were uh, a grandparent that lived a long life and died peacefully, we still feel robbed. If it was someone we lost tragically, suddenly we feel robbed. If it was uh, a very small child that had a short life, we feel robbed. With The problem with the world, the Bible calls it death. And we look at uh, the problem with the world and, and something wrong with us, the Bible calls that sin. And as most worldviews struggle to kind of give uh, and explain this, I think the only worldview that can speak into this is our biblical worldview. And so we're going to look at some scripture that kind of speaks into those three statements. And so firstly, there is something wrong. And the scriptures are going to come up onto the screen. Genesis uh, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, they're going to come up 
now. And the Lord, this is right in the beginning, God, Adam and Eve, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat uh, from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What we're speaking about there is God imposes morality. Uh, we kind of talk about it this way, like a transcendent morality. I have shared with you some friends of mine that were a kind of vegan, anarchist, atheist, feminist uh, people, and they really battled to engage with me on the issue of morality. Uh, they didn't eat meat because it was moral, but took drugs because they didn't think that was a moral issue. And so because I didn't take drugs, but their morality around eating meat, uh, they thought that was a high morality, they wouldn't engage with me on issues of faith. They went, don't speak to us about morality, you eat animals. Now, when you don't think of morality as given by someone like God, a transcendent morality, you're going to have uh, someone who goes, uh, Hitler, and I love the way Steve put it this morning, oh, you love Jews, I'm going to kill all the Jews. When you can pick and choose a morality. And that's why something like that is wrong, and our sense of wrongness comes from morality that's given by God. He says, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God gives us our morality. That's how we know something is wrong. Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. And indeed, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. Again, something that uh, naturalist thinking cannot give an answer to is why do you and I have a conscience? Why do we know what is right and what is wrong and have a sense of fairness? But here again, it is uh, proof of that is that it is given to us by God. And then when the, the next part of that is there's something wrong with the world. Romans 8, 22. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains in childbirth right up to the present time. Now what, what that verse is talking about is kind of going back to that sense of ought. And, and Paul, writing this, kind of talks about how, yes, there is definitely something wrong with the world. Even the world feels it, groaning in labor pains, knowing that something is wrong. But what comes after the pains of childbirth? More pains of childlike life, just the, <laughs> the joy of children. <laughs> and uh, the... The pain of childbirth is replaced by the joy and the hope of new life. And how we know this is wrong in this world is because in us we know that something should be better. And this is what it's talking about when we say there's something wrong with the world. The world is groaning in, in, in pain, but knowing that God is going to make things right again. That there's something wrong with us, Romans, again, if you're taking notes. Therefore, just as sin entered through the world, or through one man, and death through sin, 
And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Again, our biblical worldview answers uh, these questions. Why there's something wrong? We know that there's something wrong because of the transcendent morality uh, that God has given. We know there's something wrong with the world. The world, the physical earth even knows it. And again, we know that there's something wrong with us. It's called sin. But then again, a big question to this is why? Why is it like this? And another great author on apologetics, Ravi Zachariah, he gives uh, four possibilities to why does this exist? And um, they go like this. Four possible kinds of worlds that God could have created. And the one is he could not have created. If God didn't create, we wouldn't be sitting with the problem of why is there evil and suffering in the world? Why is the world so messed up? Two is he could have created an amoral world. We just have no concept of morality, no good, no evil. I don't think that would be a world any of us uh, would want to live in. Third option is he could have uh, created a world where we could have only chosen good. Essentially robots programmed to only choose good things. And then the fourth option is this world. And the value of this world is this world is the only world that we can experience and choose love. And that's big. Because in trying to understand why does this world have pain and suffering, it's because God chose to create a world where we could choose and experience love. To choose and experience his love and to give love back to him in return. And that world allows, unfortunately, for a measure of pain and suffering. We can't really go too deep into that tonight, but that is one of the main reasons uh, in answering the why does pain and suffering exist. But now, where is God in all of this? And as we start to wind down tonight with thinking about pain and suffering, as we understand this, Something that's very important to note is that when you take a, a, a look at all other worldviews and, and worldviews that have uh, other gods that they believe in, in all of those accounts, God remains aloof when it comes to pain and suffering. Yet, when it comes to what we believe, is God steps into our pain and suffering when no other God does. Again, I'm sharing a lot of stories as a parent tonight. We thought it was a good idea to set up a playroom and bank this uh, future parents. Uh, playroom sounds like a fantastic idea. Most days I come home and I walk past the playroom and I go, why is this so messed up? And I spend more than half my life tidying up our playroom. But so often I step into the mess I'm in the midst of it, cleaning it up. My kids have no clue how to pack away the stuff that they just mess up in seconds. But when it comes to our faith and the reality of God, God shows exactly what kind of a God he is. He reveals his heart and his nature to us completely. Because I'm sure you've had the question asked. You might have asked the question yourself. Where was God in my pain? He was on the cross. God steps into the middle of our mess. He steps into the middle of our brokenness. 
And he says, I am going to fix this up. No other God does that. No other God even comes close to having the heart and nature of our God who became a man. He suffered for our sin. Understand, why was the cross and the crucifixion so extreme? Because what was messed up in us had to be dealt with. And he suffered a public beating, in fact, a, a scourging, and then death by execution. And while he was hanging on that cross, he took my sin and he took my shame upon himself. My mess. And he paid the price for it. And because of that, my greatest pain has been taken away. That which separated me from God. That emptiness that I felt in my life is now replaced because I understand who Jesus is. My resurrected Savior gives me hope in this life. Because man, life is not easy even as a believer and many of you know that. But the difference for me is I engage in my current pain and suffering with the hope of what's to come. Because my Savior entered my mess. He didn't leave me. He doesn't dismiss it. He's in the middle of it. In fact, dealing with what I needed most. My salvation. What a joy to know that that's my God. And it's amazing that if this is the biggest issue that so many people are dealing with, and in fact, we have the answer with our very lives, which is we know the other side of the birthing pains, which is the hope of what's to come because of Jesus. And isn't that just such a joy? Tonight, we're going to end by having communion. And this is very simply what we as believers do uh, two things is bread and we break it because we remember how Jesus enters our suffering. We remember how his body was broken for my sin and your sin. And, and we break a piece off, we eat it and we with joy in our hearts say, thank you Jesus that you entered into my mess. And then we have a little cup of uh, grape juice and we remember his blood that was poured out Again, suffering, pain, but for me, so that I didn't have to endure that which was my just deserve. And again, we take that and we drink it, remembering His blood poured out for the forgiveness of my sin. We drink it, we pray with joy and remembering that. So while I know that this is a hard question to wrap our heads around and why it doesn't always make sense, but we do have a God who did not leave us in that pain but he met us at our greatest need and we get to have a relationship with him because of that so I invite you when you're ready please come and take part in remembering how God came to our aid when we needed him the most Jesus I thank you that you are a God who did not leave us alone because of our sin we deserve death but God, then you came to our aid. You stepped right into our mess. You took it on yourself. 
God, you experienced the ultimate pain and suffering so that I did not have to. And so that as I endure uh, minor pain and suffering in this life, I do it with hope eternal because you're gonna come and you're gonna make it new. In Revelation 21, uh, God, you speak about how you're gonna wipe away every tear and you're gonna take away every pain. And as believers, we look forward to a time when there will be no more suffering because of God, how you make everything new. So Jesus, we praise you and worship you for that. Amen. All right, guys, when you're ready, please come and enjoy communion.